If you can remember the last time I preached, <laughs> I uh, was talking about miracles, and I tried to make the point that the pursuit of some kind of breakthrough, like a healing or some other uh, intervention of God on our behalf, it has to be about the pursuit of a person, not about the pursuit of a formula or a principle. I fear that sometimes our view of God is that he's just some sort of ethereal force and we're trying to pull on the levers of creation rather than have relationship with the person. And then I made this statement that there's mystery in life and part of being happy and learning to enjoy life is learning to embrace mystery. And I wanted to develop that further for you today by talking to you about the central mystery of Christianity which is the Trinity. There is in church a, a lot of teaching about practical things like how to do relationships, how to manage your money, and how to get along with people, and how to pray for the sick even. And I love all that stuff. How many of you love that? I mean, it, you need to be able to get along with somebody. Amen? But... Uh, and, and, you, and we also do teaching about how to fulfill your destiny and figure out what God's called you to do. And we try to do teaching that answers questions, biblical questions, and we, we love to do that. But I've found a couple of things. One is that answers, even though they're great and they help us, they have a tendency to degrade over time. Now what I mean by that is not that they're wrong or something, but answers are always, in a sense, an oversimplification. And as you go through your life, you have to continue to pursue more revelation in order to uh, maintain your level of understanding of, of who God is. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but there's always light hiding behind the light. And moreover, uh, as much as I love walking in destiny, I love getting to do this. In about a month, I'm going to fly to Colorado and teach at a conference and I, you know, it's going to be beautiful and people will buy me fancy food and stuff and it'll be, you know, it'll be like awesome. It's something I've dreamed about since I was a little kid. I get to go somewhere and, and fly somewhere and, and teach the Bible and so it's just like really cool, right? And, and so as much as all that stuff is great, uh, destiny, it's, it's wonderful, but it's never as glamorous as you tend to picture it. In your, in your head, right? And even though I get to do this, I, I love this. By the, by the time it's done, I'll be ready to come home. <laughs> and I'll be like, well, that was good. I'm, I'm good with that for, for a while, for about a year. Okay? And uh, so there's one thing, though, that never disappoints us. And that's the knowledge of God. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, that he counts everything as, excuse me, that he suffered the loss of all things and counts it all but dung. He counts it all valueless compared to the knowledge of God, compared to the knowledge of the holy. I love teaching about how to pursue your destiny. I love teaching about how to get along with people. I love trying to answer theological questions. But all of those things pale in comparison to knowing God and having a relationship with Him and, and the knowledge of the Holy, as Towser would have said. Does that make sense? Yes. It's, it's that principle that actually drew Molly and I to move to Colorado Springs. When we first started Bible College, I was doing it because I had this call in my life to be in the ministry, and I thought, well, you need to 
go to Bible college or something to get, to get into the ministry. And so I had this thinking that I'm going to get into the ministry in some way by going to this Bible college. But when we moved there, what happened was, as I was doing this first year of Bible college, Molly and I, through the, through the mail, that I just really, really started to fall in love with the Lord. And I got to a place where I didn't really want to do anything. I would, I would be at school teaching uh, English, and I would um, hope that school would get over so I could read my Bible. <laughs> and and um, I would read it during breaks and stuff. And, and I remember reading Isaiah 53 and crying in my office and stuff. And, and anyway, God spoke to me, and we were trying to decide whether or not to move out there out of Philippians Three, and I just realized what I wanted more than anything in life was not to get a theological answer and not to try to find my destiny. I just wanted to know him. Yeah. Not that either of those two things are bad, but the, the, the highest reality is just knowing God. And there tends to be um, sometimes a, a dearth of teaching about who God actually is. And as I was preparing this message, I had this realization that I don't think I've ever heard a formal message about the Trinity and what it is and what the doctrine is. And I thought, well, that's probably not good. So I'm going to teach one. It's going to be a little bit technical in, in the middle, okay? So there's going to be some terms and stuff, but just hang with me because the truth at the end is really beautiful if you can catch it. Everybody okay? Yeah. What is the mystery of the Trinity? Uh, in Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, there's a, a general agreement that there's only one God. But Christianity's uniqueness is in the argument that this one God is also three. The fun thing about teaching about the Trinity is that it's one of the few things, that and the incarnation and uh, creation out of nothing and a few other things, that the entire church agrees about. Like everybody, the Eastern Orthodox, the Catholics, and the Protestants, we all agree about the stuff I'm about to say, which is really encouraging. All right? And what it means, though, is that what you want to do in this context, then, is bow to the tradition. Okay, and, and so I'm, I'm all for saying, well, tradition got it wrong if it violates the scripture. But in this, in this case, for 2,000 years, Christianity has said the Trinity is this and, and not something else. Okay, and so, so what we want to do is humble ourselves before that, and we got to humble ourselves before the mystery. Because a lot of you are probably thinking, oh, I understand the Trinity, it's like blank. And what you're probably going to find out is that you're wrong. Because I did. What is the Trinity? Here's, here's the classic formulation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one essence, but different subsistences or persons. Here's the tricky part. They are not three gods, but they are also neither three parts or three expressions of God. Okay, what's that mean? It means there's a ditch on either side of the truth. There's always a ditch on either side. Okay, one ditch is called modalism. Modalism is the belief that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three expressions of God. 
So it's like the belief that God is like Pastor Max, and Pastor Max has three different roles. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor. Okay? That makes sense, right? I mean, you can, you can conceptualize that in your mind, right? Yeah. That's why it's wrong. <laughs> if you can conceptualize it, it's, it's probably wrong, okay? Modalism is the belief that, that God just expresses himself in three different ways. Uh, a lot of times if you hear analogies about the Trinity, somebody will say something like, God's like water, which has three different forms, ice, vapor, and liquid, right? Well, that's actually modalism. It's, it's a heresy. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean people that say that are heretics. It just means that they didn't understand the, the doctrine. Okay? So what's that mean? The ditch over here overemphasizes the oneness of God. Overemphasizes it. The ditch on the other side, you might imagine, overemphasizes the threeness of God. And it's called tritheism which is simply the belief that there are three gods, right? Mm -hmm. There aren't three gods. There's one God. And yet that one God is also three. <laughs> Everybody okay? <laughs> well, that's making my head spin. That's actually the point, as we'll see in a minute. Um, in the West, as I'll kind of point out in a little bit, in the West where we're from, the tendency is to overemphasize the oneness of God. And if you do that, you can tend to view God as like a monarch or a dictator. And he's controlling everything and he's telling everybody what to do all the time and forcing everybody to do everything against their will at times. Um, and so that's why the fancy term for modalism is modalistic monarchianism, like monarch. Everybody say that with me. Modalistic monarchianism. There'll be a test later. No, not really. Um, so those are the two ditches. In between there, there's varying views about the Trinity, but the whole idea is that God is one and three at the same time. And you say that's a paradox. Yes. God exists in paradox. I'll explain why in a minute. There are also other heresies particularly dealing with the nature of Jesus. And so some people taught that this thing called dynamic monarchianism that, that's, or adoptionism. And that's just the belief that Jesus was a normal human. And then he lived such a good life that God made him his son. No. That denies the eternal uh, reality of who Jesus was. Another heresy that cropped up was called Arianism, which was the belief that Jesus was a creation of God. And so they'll say Jesus existed in eternity past, but God created him. That's not right either. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all co-equal, co-eternal. They're all God. They're not different aspects of God, but they're different subsistences or persons of God. So Pastor, this is really technical. Yeah, it kind of is. I'm gonna, um, uh, why does this matter? I'll give you an example. Arianism still exists. I'm not trying to be mean. But one of the ways it shows up is through Jehovah's Witnesses. So we love Jehovah's Witnesses. We aren't mad at them. 
right? But they'll, they'll try to tell you that they're Christian in the same way that, that we are, but they'll deny the, the divinity of Jesus if you really press them on it. It's a modern form of Arianism. So the last time the Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door, I told them that they were believing in Arian heresy. And uh, anyway, I'm not sure whether that was the right way to deal with that or not, but <laughs> I was like, have you ever heard of Arius? And the guy's like, no. And I'm like, well, anyway, so, so <laughs> I, I might read too much. But anyway, on the back, on the back, there's an acronym to help you understand this, the acronym TRIUNE. So the T stands for three recognized as God. The R is regarded as three distinct persons. The I stands for imminent and eternal, not merely economical or temporal. So that's fancy language that means the God you see in the Bible, the God that is revealing himself as the Trinity, that's the real God. There's not a different God hiding back somewhere that just chooses to reveal himself through these three persons. There's a tendency in a lot of theology to look at stuff in the Bible and say, well, that's not actually how God is. He's just, he's just trying to tell us that so, that so that we can understand it better. That's not true. When you go to heaven, you'll meet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because it's real. That's, that's who God actually is. They are united in essence, that's the U. And then here's the whole point of the message, the letter N. There is no, excuse me, not, not the letter N. <laughs> the letter N means no inequality. The E is the whole point of the message. It explains all other doctrines, yet itself is inscrutable. All right, here's how Christianity works. This is its conception of the world. There's something that is beyond reason. And that's what makes everything else reasonable. There is a God who transcends your carnal understanding. And the fact that He exists and that He's eternal and that He's bigger than your brain can understand, that's what makes your life make sense. I think it was Einstein that said that the most fascinating thing about the universe is that it's understandable. It's intelligible. This is remarkable. He, he thought that there was every reason to believe that it would be totally unintelligible. But the fact of the matter is that there's a mystery at the heart of the universe called God, the Trinity, and that that's what makes sense of everything else. Um, I was trying to understand this, and, and the whole concept is that reason can only take us so far. You're never meant to, to reason your way to God, but from God. Life makes sense if there's a loving God, but it's incomprehensible apart from that truth. Okay, what's an analogy to make sense of this? When a mother has a, a baby, science tells us that what you want to do is take the baby and you want to put it skin to skin on the mother's chest and you want to try to immediately get the baby to nurse as quickly as possible. This has a ton of health benefits. Um, it also, they've done studies, it releases a chemical in the mother's brain and in the baby's brain called oxytocin, which is like chemical love. And it creates a strong chemical attachment between the mother and the baby. 
So it's really beautiful. However, evolutionary science looks at that and they say, okay, here's the deal. It's really inconvenient to raise a baby. Yeah. At least compared to the rest of the animal kingdom. You've got to raise the kid for like 18 to 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's inconvenient. It, it, <laughs> it costs a lot. Okay? And so if you don't believe in God and you don't, you don't think that there's meaning to any of this stuff going on, what you believe is that our bodies evolved this chemical response of oxytocin to, to drive the mother through this chemical to take care of the baby even though it's incredibly in inconvenient. Okay? Now, they look at that and they say, see, that makes sense. That solves the riddle of this connection between mother and child. The problem with that is it robs it of all beauty and meaning. Now there is, you know, there is such a thing as, as you know, postpartum depression and stuff and so I don't want to, I don't want to minimize that at all. If you've had that, God loves you and that, that's, you know, don't feel bad about that. But, but you know, many mothers will testify to you, and, and fathers as well. When I, when I see my kids, and, and I hold my children, you can't tell me that there's something that's not beyond some sort of chemical bond that's going on. There's something mystical and beautiful that transcends this physical reality. And that thing is called love. And it's inscrutable. You can't understand it, but that's what makes your life make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Amen. Wow. Is that not true? That's true. That, 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 that feeling of love that we have for those we care about, it's, it's got to be mystical. It's got to be transcendent. It emanates out of the spirit realm. It's not a purely physical phenomenon. Certainly, there are chemicals in your brain, but what, what love is, is far beyond that. Yeah. It's far beyond that. And a failure to embrace the beauty and the mystery of that will leave your life empty. Yeah. Yes. I'm just being real with you. That's why I love science, but I hate this stuff about, you know, this evolutionary way of thinking that robs things of meaning and beauty. Well, that's, that's something to consider. <laughs> All right. What else about the Trinity? Why else does this matter? One way to view the Trinity is what's called the social analogy. So this is, this is more Eastern Orthodox than it is Western. Um, so the Western church tends to start with the oneness of God and move towards the threeness, and so we tend to emphasize the, the unity of God, which is good, because we certainly don't want to be polytheistic. All right? But probably, there are not very many polytheistic people left in America because we all grew up in this, in this monotheistic environment. The Eastern Orthodox, they tend to start with the threeness of God and work towards the oneness, so they emphasize the threeness more. So from this point, I'm going to tell you my opinion about how the Trinity 
works. I'm not going to remove all the mystery, but I'm going to tell you uh, some of the stuff I think about it. So everybody say this. This part, this part is Pastor Max's, Pastor Max's opinion. opinion. My mentor Andrew Womack always says that opinions are like noses. Everybody has one, and it probably has a couple holes in it. <laughs> so this stuff is not as widely accepted as what I've told you before. Everything else I told you before, literally everybody in Christianity agrees with. All right? But I think that we, we want to, in our culture, emphasize the, the threeness of God. So what's that mean? It's the idea that God is, first of all, relational and a family. Before he was ever judge, he was father. And so from all eternity, what we've got is not a monarch dictating everything, but a family having conversations within itself about how to govern the planet. It's a different way of, of viewing things. What that means is, now, it's not like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having debates about you know, whether or not to intervene or whatever. They're always, they're always united. But you can imagine these conversations. And it's not terrible to do so, because when you do that, prayer becomes you entering into a conversation that's been going on from all eternity. I submit to you that, that God is a family and that the whole purpose and plan of God is to adopt you into that family. <laughs> what is prayer? Prayer is like this. Molly and I, when, when we decided to have Isaac, we, uh, <laughs> we would think about him beforehand, before he was ever born. And we'd plan for him. And we bought the, you know, the crib, and we painted the room, and we'd have conversations about what he'd be like and what kind of hair color he'd have and what kind of a personality he would be like. And then one day he was born, and we got to, we got to hold him and, and take care of him. And it was so fun, but as he, as he grew, he started to speak. And this day that, that we'd been waiting for for years, where there was a conversation going on between Molly and I that predated him, now he gets to participate. And we say to him, buddy, we've been waiting for you for years. When you're born and, and you're born again and you pray, you're entering into a conversation that God was waiting to have for, with you since, since eternity passed. But I, that's encouraging. So this, there's an interplay and it's open to humanity. And so that means prayer actually changes things. Because it's not approaching a monarch. It's you approaching mom and dad. Yeah. 
And then within the Trinity, there is no hierarchy. That's actually a, a settled statement. Um, so it's not like the Father is the boss and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit just do what he says. That's an inaccurate statement. In fact, the scripture teaches that they all mutually submit to one another in love. So the Father submits to the Son, the Son to the Father, and the, or said the Son to the Spirit, the Spirit to the Father, etc. There's a dance of mutual submission. If you understand that, you'll, you'll understand Ephesians 5 better, which commands the uh, husband and wife actually to live in mutual submission. It's not the perpetual submission of the wife to the husband. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really. Um, you say, I don't believe that. Well, go listen to my message. <laughs> and it's my series that ties is Supernatural Power Family. You can get it on the website. And uh, it explains all that. All right. And then lastly, this is, this is the part that's most my opinion. But I believe that there are actually three centers of consciousness within the Trinity. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean that, so, you have the baptism scene, right, where Jesus is down here and the Father's in heaven and, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and then the Father speaks out of heaven and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. How do you understand that, that scene? Okay, what I believe that reveals to us is that that that's a real conversation. So I don't believe that the consciousness of God is, is in Jesus and then jumping into heaven and speaking and then jumping back down and listening and then coming down as the, as the, the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Is that too technical? Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I mean is that there are, there are three different thoughts within the Trinity even though they're all united in the same. A way to understand this would be, and, and certainly God's consciousness must be far higher than ours, but a way to understand this would be if like, if you could imagine, how I many you can hear your own thoughts, right? Everybody hear that? Okay, imagine I could hear my own thoughts, but then um, I, I could also hear Josh's thoughts and Molly's all at the same time, and yet it wasn't uh, incoherent and it was all united. I think that's something like what it's like inside the Trinity. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I think that's something what it's like. Um, it's perichoretic, to use a, a, a fancy word, which means they interpenetrate one another. John 17 talks about this. Uh, and you might say, well, that, sound, that sounds hard to believe. Well, it's probably not, because how many of you believe you can hear God's thoughts in your, inside your thoughts? How many of you believe you can also hear the devil speak inside your head? Sure you can. You can hear three people's thoughts in your own head. I think that's something like what it's like inside the Trinity. Now, it's obviously greater than that, but I think that's a piece of the puzzle. All right. Pastor, I don't know if I understood any of that. That's okay. Last point. The point of the doctrine of the Trinity is not to understand it. It's to wonder at it. In the context of wonder, faith and love are born, which help us see the rest of the world clearly.
the moment you lose your wonder, things in life start to get murky. They really do. If, if, I can't, if I can't live in paradox and embrace the fact that there are things that are beyond my understanding, if I think that everything can be conceptualized up here, uh, you, you're, you're slipping into um, depression and confusion pretty quickly. Because you are born for the transcendent. You are born for the beautiful. And the beautiful arises out of the realm of mystery. Well, I've said a lot. I don't know if I don't know if any of that made that made sense to me. Hopefully, or at least some of it did. Okay, last point. Somebody would ask this, Pastor. I thought this was a teaching about miracles. What does any of that have to do with healing or anything like that? Here's what it has to do with. All right, you're not trying to approach a monarch, a, a monad god in order to, to receive a miracle. Rather, you've been invited eternally into the family of God. Yeah, yeah. You're adopted into the perichoretic union of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for all eternity, you're, you have a father. The Holy, the Holy Spirit really is like the feminine part of God. You have a mother and you have a brother. And that, that heals you. Yes. Spirit, soul, and body. Amen. That heals you. The Trinity will make you whole. Hallelujah. You need all three parts. Yes. You need dad to tell you your identity. You need mom to nurture and comfort you. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. And you need a brother to walk alongside you and encourage you. And he's also, I mean, understand he's also our husband. So you need, a, you need a life partner to fulfill your destiny. A lot of times we're not whole because we're only relating to one part of God. Now, I said that wrong because God doesn't have parts. <laughs> See, it's dangerous. You can speak heresy without, without even meaning to. So is God one? Yes. Is God three? Yes. yes. The math doesn't make sense, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> because the beauty of that truth will untangle the rest of your theology. Amen. Everything else makes sense in the context of a trinity. But the trinity doesn't make much sense. I don't like that, Pastor. Well, welcome to Christianity. Things are, things are, things are bigger than your peanut brain. <laughs> I don't want to serve a God I can fully conceptualize. If I could, I, I struggle to believe that that God is real. For God to be real, He has to transcend my understanding. And this, this does. What God's saying, when God says, I'm a trinity, what He's saying is, I don't care very much whether or not you understand this. I love you. But I'm not concerned about whether or not your brain can understand me. Your heart knows it's true. Let's all stand up. Hallelujah. Well, they sang this song good this morning. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're children of God.
What's that mean? You've been adopted into the Trinity. You've been made part of the family of God. That's who you are. All right, I'm going to pray for everybody. My prayer team can come down here. If you need personal prayer, you can come down in just a second. It's great to be back. Great to have everybody. Thanks for indulging me. I know that was some heavy theology there for a little bit. But anyway, I think it's fun. Now you can't say you haven't heard what the doctrine of the Trinity is, all right? Not if you go here. So anyway, Father, we just love you. We thank you that you're amazing. And we do. We wonder at this doctrine of the Trinity. We wonder at the reality that you're three and one at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. And we know that, that love transcends what our carnal brains can think about and that your love for us is the highest reality and that you are love. So Lord, let your people just be made whole this morning. Let your glory come. Let it touch hearts and fill people with understanding. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.